You're listening to The Collective Church Podcast. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.ca.za. I just want to say, I know they weren't going to say anything, but those first two songs we sung in worship were Anton Rowe's original songs. And the first one was written last night. So I just want to say, well done. Where's Roe? Oh, he's gone. No, it's such a beautiful time of worship, man. Um, I think everything we sang about today is just exactly what I want to speak on. So uh, last Sunday, during the service, um, my alarm was going off at home. So I had to quickly shoot home before the Thanksgiving service and just kind of sort out what was happening with the, the electric fence. And then after that, I went down to the shop just to get some ice cream cones. And on my way down there, there was a, a man lying in the street. <clears throat> and I was like, oh, not this guy again. He always does this. Um, there's a guy that's known for lying in the streets in Craigle Park. Um, but this time, like, I stopped. There were, like, three cars, and they couldn't get around him because he, he just got his, his angle right this week, you know? So no one could kind of, like, move around him, you know? So everyone's, like, out their car, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I just pulled over, got out the car, and I went, and I was just like, hey, brother, come on, man. Helped him up, and, oh, I've been knocked over. I'm like, no, you haven't. You haven't. I know you haven't. Sat him down, had a few words with him. I said, just wait till I'm going to get you some lunch. And I went and got him some lunch, and came back and just said, brother, this time it's a pie, next time it could be the police, you know, just please don't do this, or, or worse, you, your head squashed because the car's, you know. So that was it, went off, came back here, Nina and I head up to Sandton for a, a little shopping, a little bit of Christmas shopping. Lo and behold, on Sandton Drive, cars everywhere, there's another man lying in the street, but this time in the middle lane, and I'm like, oh, my, my first instinct is, oh, they, he's, he's brave, like this is Sandton Drive, you know. But I check up ahead, there's a guy jumping on his car, out of his car and running, a young guy with his phone. And so I'm like, oh, okay, now this is legit. So I pull over and I said, babe, just phone the ambulance. I get out and I go, but I promise you it's crazy hour. Um, and it's like every driver had washed fast and the furious the night before because it was just like, vroom, vroom, vroom. so I'm like getting in there. They're in the middle. Of, I tell this guy's freaking out. So I'm like, okay, you phone the cops. My wife's phone the ambulance. I'm like one eye on the traffic, one eye on this guy's trying to stand up blood everywhere. It's, it's a mess. So I'm like, okay, I know one thing, you're not meant to move. So I'm holding him down. I'm just like, okay, I'm literally like, what are we going to do? No one's stopping. I'm like, call this guy to come, let's pray. And we just start praying. And I'm like, I'm literally like, Lord Jesus, I just released divine order over this. Boat. And I'm about to finish. And this guy just pops his bag next to me. And he's like, I'm a paramedic. So I was like, okay. So I'm literally, I'm like, traffic, this guy's freaking out. Janine's there on the road. I'm like, okay. You take him, I go and I start steering the traffic around, you know, because again, guys are flying, kind of pushing everyone this way, that way. And the whole time I'm like, where is this guy's car? I mean, he came out of nowhere, young, 22-year-old, just came from gym with his tog bag, just popped it next to me. I'm a paramedic, starts holding his neck and feeling his body. But I'm like, where's his car? So I'm like, very aware, I've just prayed, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> so the cops come and they, t they kind of do what I was doing with the, with the, with the traffic and... I go to this guy and I'm like, I just start praying again. The paramedic's like, what are you saying? I'm like, no, I'm just praying. And both of me and this guy that's knocked him over are like, where did you come from? Like, there's no car. We're like, and this guy's like, yeah, are you an angel? Like, what are, what's happening? And he's like, no, Ubered you. <laughs> I was Ubering. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, there's, there's that testimony. Um, but <laughs> so I was like, okay, that makes sense. My head went to angel, but Uber makes more sense. But he's just the most calmest guy. He'd just been knocked over that week. We're having this whole conversation, cars flying past. Every, 
long story short, everything gets sorted. This guy's stable, all's good. The ambulance come, off they go. We jump in our car and go to Sanson. And I get home that night, and I'm like, kind of like, wow, it was quite, a, quite an experience, you know. But I'm like, how's that for a day? Two situations, extremely similar. One's cry wolf, and the one's the real deal. One is literally a guy saying, I've been knocked over. Well, I know he hasn't. And this guy, there's a legitimate situation. I thought, I wonder if I'd stopped for the first guy. Would I have stopped him for the second guy? Like, I wonder if, like, Lord, you were doing something in me that day. Like, you know, whether I was fooled or I would, my prayers went somewhere. And I mean, I literally prayed. And I, that was the answer to prayer. Because I literally, this guy's freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do here? I'm going to get knocked over myself. And he just comes and takes over the situation. And I get to go and steal the traffic. I was just like, that is a God provision. 100%. And it made me think of this thing I heard Bill Johnson say, like in 2008, like years ago. And he said, we shouldn't be so concerned with what happens to our seed after we sow it. We shouldn't worry about how controlled and how we can control how our seed grows. Like if I give this guy money, is he just going to buy alcohol? You know? Or if I give him a pie, is he just going to ask me for money? You know? We shouldn't be so concerned about what we do with that seed. We should just be faithful in sowing that seed, right? Yeah. And then it made me think about this. Because there's, there's a process in the sowing, and there's a transformation that happens in us. In, in that person we're sowing into, that situation we're sowing into, and there's a transform, transformation that actually happens in us. It was an amazing day of just seeing God work. But I thought about this. No matter how buried we feel in life, or how powerless and intimidated we feel against the rise of turmoil, the enemy forgets that we're seeds. No matter how buried we are, we will rise and we will grow. Because we are seed. We are the seed of Abraham. And not just that, we mustn't forget that no matter how buried the seed we're sowing seems, it's just thrown into oblivion or it's, it's in the plethora of everything that stands against me. I've sowed my seed. We shouldn't be so concerned about what's happening. We know we trust in a God who is faithful to make that seed grow. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what I, what I landed on on Sunday nights. I was like, Lord, let me be more extravagant with me, myself as a seed, and the seed that I get to sow into people's lives. And not be so controlled and how that seed grows and how it develops fruit. Hebrews 2, verse 15 to 18. I'm going to just read two portions of scripture that I'm going to base my preach on today. Hebrews 2, 15, out of the Passion Translation. It just, I just love it. It just opens up so many things that we don't think about when you read Scripture. But by embracing death, Jesus sets free those who live their entire lives in bondage to the tormenting dread of death. For it is clear that he didn't do this for angels, but for the sons and daughters of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. This is why he had to be a man and take hold of our humanity in every single way. He made us his brothers and sisters and became our merciful and faithful king priest before God. As the one who removed our sins to make us one with him, he suffered and endured every test and temptation so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. I added some extra spice on every word there because it just it needs it. Um, and Hebrews 4, no, it doesn't need it, but I, I thought it just would help. But <laughs> Hebrews 4. Uh, Hebrews 4, 14. Now, Hebrews 4, 15. I'll just skip down to there. For we have a magnificent high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands our humanity. For as a man, 
Our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. That's why he's our hope. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. I hear a lot of everys. Every way, every time, every weakness, every trial. So we can go home now. Thank you, guys. Um, but really, like, I, I've been mulling on those two scriptures for quite a while. And I don't know, there's something powerful about Jesus being our merciful high priest. In preparing for this preach, I thought of one of my favorite movie scenes of all time. Known as Wax On and Wax Off. Who knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anyone seen The Karate Kid? If not, welcome to 2019. Um, 30 years is enough time to let you watch a movie, so I'm going to have a spoiler. Um, karate Kid, basically, I'll set the scene up. Daniel is a teenager. He's moving with his mom across to America. I mean, across America. And he's starting this new life. They move into this apartment block. And uh, at the start of his new life, there's, there's bullies at the door. These guys that are picking on him. And... Um, there's an old man, that, old Japanese man that runs the maintenance, um, maintenance manager at this uh, apartment block. His name is Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, he's very aware of Daniel's afflictions, very aware of him. But one night this all escalates and Daniel's at a party. He's met this girl and he's, you know, trying to court and whatever. And um, <laughs> um, he, he's being picked on by these bullies and he's like, I'm going to stand up now to these guys. So he, I, don't, I can't remember what happens, but he stands up to these guys and obviously frustrates them and they just start chasing him and he runs out the jaw, the potty, and runs across the fields and he's just heading home. He's just like, woo, running as fast as he can. He's about five meters from his door and these guys catch him and they just start doing their karate on him and beating him up. And um, in the nick of time, Mr. Miyagi jumps over the fence and comes, does, comes and does an amazing display of, probably cheesy now if I went to watch it, but in those days it was the most amazing display of, of fighting and techniques and takes these, these six uh, bullies out. And Daniel's kind of watching through bruised eyes like this, this just this hero taking care of him. And he's just like, wow. And he just passes out. And he gets, uh, he comes around and obviously that week he's like, I need to go for some lessons here. And he pursues Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi graciously brings him into his home. And he's like, wow, I'm going to come and learn the art of whatever it was, Kung Fu, Karate. And Daniel rocks up for first day of this training, this elitism. He's probably thinking he's going to be flown off to Japan somewhere on a, high on a mountain. And he walks up to Mr. Miyagi's home and he's kind of got his bag. He's ready to do this thing. And Mr. Miyagi hands him a bucket of soap and a sponge. And he's like, thanks, man. He's like, okay, I'm probably going to wash the car so we can drive to the airport to go. Cool. So he starts washing the car and... Next day he rocks up, he's like, here's some paint in and a paintbrush. And he's like, okay, I'm going to paint the house before we go and do our big thing. And he paints the, starts painting the house. And this happens for a couple of days now. And now Daniel's getting irritated because this is not how he expected he was going to learn this amazing ability. He, he's, he's just doing, he's sticking off his husband's to-do list. He's just like, all I'm doing is just your menial tasks here. So he's like, I'm going to confront him today. And he comes up for this day. It's all escalates. So Daniel's angry. He, he, work, he comes to Mr. Miyagi's house and Mr. Miyagi's not there. There's just a note that says, gone fishing. Here's some more paints. Please paint my house. But this time, please don't go this way. Please go this way. Daniel's Dan like, come on, kicks things. He's angry. But he does it. He paints. Does his thing. Now time comes and here comes Mr. Miyagi in. 
like nothing's wrong with his paint tin and I mean his uh, fishing catch of the day. He puts his stuff down. Daniel's like, that's it. I'm on, he's going to have it now. I'm going to talk, tell this man. And he gets down off his ladder and he's like, Mr. Miyagi, this is not how I thought I would learn. Are you even a teacher? You don't know this. You're just making me do this and paint your house and mop your floors and wax your floors. And Mr. Miyagi's just quiet. And Daniel, so angry, starts walking away. And a famous scene, Mr. Miyagi, Daniel's son. <laughs> Daniel stops and kind of sheepishly turns around and walks up to him and he goes, show me how you wax the floor. So Daniel goes like this. Now take the wax off the floor. He goes like this sheepishly and he's like paint paint the fence and he's like does this thing and he's you know what i'm saying he's getting his action so and then he looks at him he goes wax on he shouts wax on and he throws a punch Doo! daniel blocks wax off poof, poof. blocks again paint the house throws a kick poof blocks it and then the scene is just escalating and you're just like whoa and, and the camera pans into daniel's face and you can just see the realization that all this meaningless crazy hard work Every day, washing cars, cleaning toilets, all the normal stuff. He's been training. He's been building these reflexes to what's going to help him face his enemy. And I thought, how is that? Like the Lord just gives, I call them gospel-like reflexes. You're not loved. Wax off. I am. You're not a child of God. Wax on. I am. It's the everyday, seemingly mundane, was training Daniel he did not expect to be learned that way. He did not expect, he held God according to, I mean, Mr. Miyagi according to his perspective. This is how you need to train me. This is how I'm only going to learn. I need to be separated, Japanese high mountains, but, I, but you know, robes, we need to learn this thing properly. He's like, no. And I think there's an essence in the gospel there, hey? if you haven't heard it already, <laughs> that Daniel represents us. Going through this transition of this new life. And there's bullies at the door of this new life. We're all going through transitions. We will always, we'll live the rest of our lives going through transitions. Transitions don't end. Ah, we arrived. Trans, we are always, we, whether we're going single to married, um, job to own business, different levels of parenting. Here we sit at the end of a year, going into a new year. Here we're in a new venue. We are, trying, we are always working and walking through transitions. And then there's Mr. Miyagi, who's Jesus. He doesn't just stand in Daniel's defense. He welcomes him into this home. He's like some Japanese mystic who should be somewhere high up in the mountains. He's working as a maintenance manager and is aware of Daniel's afflictions and brings him in and, makes Dan and helps Daniel confront his own frustrations. Because learning karate wasn't the problem. There was a whole lot of other stuff that Mr. Miyagi picked up on that Daniel had to confront about himself so that he could listen and learn better but the only way he could learn was just through his everyday, his everyday beautiful life. And so this is, this is a shadow of what Jesus has done for us, just a shadow. Hebrews 2 says he takes, or I've just read it, he takes hold of our humanity in every way. He suffers, endures every test and temptation, not to lord it over us and use it as a weapon or a measuring stick. He does it, this is a scripture, so that he can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life where we spend so much time and effort despising our weakness, despising our struggles, having no grace for our souls, living in shame, it says right here that Jesus sympathizes and empathizes with our weakness, the, the one who created us. And this week I've tried very hard because the scripture says sympathize, and I've always grown up knowing there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, you love someone at arm's length, or you're right over there. 
empathy is you get in the hole with that person, right? And I've been looking at the scripture, I'm like, Lord, why don't you say empathy here? And it's like, and I went and looked at the root word of sympathy, and it actually, in the scripture, the Greek, it's from para, um, para, no, never mind. Um, it's, <laughs> it basically means to share a feeling with someone. Pathos. That's it. I was a P. It was a P. Pathos. Pathos. Um, it's for our listeners at home. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, we've got people that stream in, there's thousands, so I'm just, just letting them know that. Um, I'm not joking. Um, so let's take our view from Jesus. Sympathy is to share a feeling with someone. Sympathy or empathy is a choice. It's a choice to say, in order for me to connect with you, I need to connect with, with that same thing inside of me so I can feel with you. I need to know, I need to almost, do you know what I'm saying? I need to be able to connect with the feeling so that I can connect with you. That is sympathy. It's a shared feeling. And so look what Jesus does. Hebrews 4.15, the amplified version. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, yet was without sin. Again, that is why he is our very real hope. In all the messiness and the catching up and the being caught up in, in who we are, he never sinned. It's a very important thing. Um, Jesus steps into our humanity. It says in Hebrews 2, he embraced death for more than just street credibility. Ah, you cool, man. You know, he plunges into the depths of our human condition in order to sympathize with our humanity. And he brings in that process earth and heaven together. In the Old Covenants, we have the temple and the tabernacle. It was always separate. It wasn't the shopping mall. It wasn't work. It wasn't home. It was separate. Where people went to do their thing and have their sins atoned for and encounter it. It was separate. And Jesus comes and he turns that whole thing on its head. And he's like, um, my glory is not exclusive to one person one time a year or a bunch of just it's hitting the streets. My glory, my holiness, my mercy, my grace, my love is out there. And he talks, he has a conversation with one of, um, of some kind of righteous people that are around him. In, in Matthew 25, it says, uh, verse 35 to 40, he says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous answer him, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you naked? When did we see you thirsty? And he's like, when you did one of those things to the least of these, you did them to me. If that's not enough scripture to show that this thing is not exclusive to here, that, that shows it. He's like, I'm, I'm out there. You can go and do the most amazing evangelistic efforts. And guess what? You're going to feel more blessed in the end of the day because I'm not just the work, I'm in the work. And I've always wondered about that. When I lead worship, it's always, oh, worship, worship. I'm always the one that feels better. When you help someone on the streets on Sunday, I felt like a better person. It's just what it is. Because why? When you're hungry, you, I, I fed Jesus. I lifted Jesus up and took him off the road. That's quite a thought. It's a humbling thought. I stopped, you know, 
Janine phoned the ambulance for Jesus lying in the middle of the road, bleeding, broken. But sometimes we can't do this. We're like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. stay there. I need you there because then it makes me better, gives me more permission to how, let me be what I want to do here. You know, you don't understand this. It's like, no. I embrace humanity in every single way. No one can refute that. So Jesus bridges that separation mentality. Jesus never sinned, but by stepping into our human suffering, he gained the authenticity to speak from a human vantage point and from a broken condition. He fully connected with us. He, just, he, did, he could have, but he didn't just put a big neon sign in the sky saying, it is done. He steps into our darkness and he meets us exactly where we are at in order to turn us back to look up and see the love of a father that is always there. I heard this one line this week, the great physician lived in the world's hospital. I thought, wow, that's a beautiful, and it just sparked this whole, like, wow. Like, you weren't just this doctor in his office writing cures for human conditions because you were too scared to touch your patients. Ah, oh, here's, here's the thing. Press the door. There's, there's your script. Poof. Thank you. He doesn't, you know? He walked the hospital. He visited every single ward. His own hands touched the fevered pulses. His own hands wiped the tears away on the patient's faces. His own eyes stared into the eyes of the, of the suffering. He didn't just stay in his office and cure everything from the safety of heaven. He didn't just stand next to the fire and, I hope it's not too hot in there. Sorry, man. Are you okay? He jumped in the fire with us, one like the Son of God. The woman who was caught in adultery. I just love that story. I mean, that, caught. Not just like her. Caught in the act of adultery. Does he shout, whoa, 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 whoa. You better catch a wake up, lady. You know? That's embarrassing. He kneels down with her. He enters her suffering. He enters her hurt. He hasn't just shouted at us. Onward, Christian soldier. Don't come with your complaints. You know? Look at the humility of Jesus in, this, in these scriptures I've just read to you today. Such humility. In meeting us where we're at, he never wanted to leave us there. He didn't just leave the woman in the dirt or in the depths of our pain. He's always working with us in our every day to lift up our eyes, to lift our vision higher, and to show us that him, Jesus, is what connects us to the Father. Everything he's done. He's the perfect sacrifices that ends all sacrifices. He removes all guilt and sin. And so as our high priest, he enters our darkness and obediently suffers our suffering as fully man. He wasn't half God, half man. He was fully man. But as God, he swallowed up the darkness and he beat back the decay and he ends all separation and all distance. He fully entered our sense of brokenness and then with us lifts up our cries to the Father. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-four says, For he has not despised my cries of deep despair. He's my first responder to my sufferings. And he didn't look the other way when I was in pain. He was there all the time listening to the song of the afflicted. I've written a lot of affliction songs. 
You'll never hear them. But he's heard them. And it wasn't just his song of affliction, because the scripture was David writing, but it was like a, a prophecy of Jesus. And it's our song. It's all of our songs. The song of the affliction is all of our songs, but it's resonating through Jesus. You know, sometimes we, we, um, we don't know how, how to communicate, you know, when we're facing things. We don't know how to pray. Sometimes we don't know how to sense God's nearness. But what brings us peace is that we have the Spirit who is uttering through us broken wordless groans that are personally swept up in Christ before the Father. So Jesus is our merciful high priest, sympathetic, sealed us into perfect union by once and for all permanent sacrifice, not a sacrifice to appease an angry man with a stick looking down on us. But he did this to bridge the gap, to change our own perspectives of who we thought he was, and to change our own perspective of who we are now as children of God. He didn't just come to appease an angry man. Jesus was a perfect representation of the Father. And he sits before the Father and says, and he intercedes for us. And those cries are our prayers resonating through Jesus. He's established the communications lines. He's brought us home. We don't need to persuade him who's fully persuaded about us. We don't need to search for him who is all around us. And we don't need to seek him who's already found us. The enemy has a way of making us feel like a little fish desperately swimming in search of water. We are swimming in an ocean of love and mercy and grace. And sometimes we're swimming trying to find it. Where he's just like, rest. Rest. Don't be a fish breathing in water trying to look for water. It's, it's I'm all around you. There are scriptures. I love, I love that Matthew 25 scripture. When you fed them, you fed me. That breaks down all our separation mentality. We are the special ones. They are, no, Jesus is with the afflicted. But in order for us to have grace for the afflicted, we need to have grace for the affliction inside of ourselves. Hebrews 4.16, I just want to read it again. It says, So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss, and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in times of need. So after all this goodness you, you've heard, and I hope you've heard Jesus' commitment to who you are, after all this, now we get to boldly approach him. I heard this guy tell a story once. I thought it was quite hilarious. He tells the time of the first time he, worked, he got his bank account. So he walks into the bank, he signs up his papers, he walks out the bank, he's like... Phew. I've made it, so I've got a bank account. So he goes home and he's like, guys, should we go grab a burger? It's on me. So they're like, yeah, cool, let's go. So off they go, and, but hang on, I've got to stop at the bank. <laughs> got to get some money. They're like, woo, okay, wow. So he pulls into the bank, walks up to the bank, and he's like, oh, it's locked. And they're like, friends are confused. They're like, yeah, oh, of course it's locked. And he's like, oh, sorry, guys, can one of you get the bill? Because the bank's locked, sorry, man. They're like, didn't you get a little card with your bank account? And he's like, oh, what, this whole thing? And he pulls it out. He's like, yeah, that gives you access to your money that's in the bank anytime, anywhere, as long as you find a branch, the, you know, you, any, any ATM. And he's like, 
the revelation and the joy that hits him, he's like, and I was just like, it's, it's the same with us. We are not limited to heaven's trading hours. Heaven doesn't have trading hours or public holidays or strikes. That little card is our access to what's ours. Anytime, anywhere. I, I, I thought it was very good. I did. Because <laughs> it's true. We sometimes act like that. Like, oh, what, this whole thing? Like, Jesus coming down, dying, good, I know all that stuff. I've heard it all perfectly. Oh, precious. Is it? No, like, let's just stop and look at what he's done. Because it's so easy to celebrate everyone else except ourselves and what he's done for us. It's so easy to be everyone else's hero except your own. He's like, I did this for you. So that you could have access. Don't just tell it, it's for you. In the little struggles and the big struggles. And that word boldly, the, the word origin of boldly is parousia, which actually is quite funny. It means freedom of speech. We come with freedom of speech. We're sometimes scared of our own freedom of speech. We're scared of what comes out of our mouth sometimes when we're frustrated or we, whatever it is. But when we come, we're not desperate people lying in the middle of the road trying to convince God to stop. Ah, God, please, please, please. Ah, okay, maybe next one. You know? We are not approaching God like this. We're not approaching God as a guilty criminal asking, for a, asking the judge for a lenient sentence. We are boldly approaching Him as children with freedom of speech to tell Him what we're feeling, to tell Him the depths of our emotions, to tell Him the depths of our struggles. But one thing we know is what we're, not, we're, not, we're not throwing that out into the, into the universe and it just floats. We are approaching love and mercy. We are approaching a God who doesn't want to leave us where we are. You are f- we are free to communicate our hearts to the Lord and bring our deepest pains before Him. But know that we are bringing it before love and mercy. He doesn't want to leave us abandoned to our own perceptions and perspectives of how he works. He is merciful. He is not personally offended by you. In my preach last time, I don't know if you remember, I spoke about Thomas and his doubts. I don't know if you, any of you were there. And what gets, always got to me was, Jesus, you took the time to work through Thomas's doubts, but they were about you. It's easy for someone else's doubts, you know? Oh, you know, hey, Jesus, this guy, Tom. It's you, are you even, you know, everything I've just explained, the depths of embracing our death and taking on our humanity and suffering the worst death. Thomas has these doubts. And Jesus takes the time to work through his doubts. Then, how's this? John 19, 26. Jesus is dying breath. He's hanging up. He is bleeding. His body is broken. He hasn't got much breath left. And in that moment, he's busy hooking up a family for this disciple and this mother who are next to him. He says, behold, mom, see your son. And behold, son, see your mother. He takes the time in his brokenness to, hey, mother, see your son. Like, I mean, come on, that's commitment. Never seen it like that. I've just... Son, behold your mom, people around him, cool, cool. And I, for the first time, I was like, wow, what a, G, what, what a savior, what a humble king, what a loving king. 
that he is so committed, he is so specific, so specific to give you what you need when you need it, to speak to you, to work through your doubts. It's like kind of like, give me your best shot. I have experienced every bit of what you feel. I have to tell this testimony. A couple of Sundays ago, I was, I was grumpy. And I left church and I just needed to go home and sleep. And it just, it just, there was just some stuff I was working through that I wasn't in the best space thinking-wise and um, thought-wise, you know. And I just, you know, you just need to be alone. You have those moments where you're just like, I do not want to ruin my friendships right now, so let me go home and be alone and not say things I regret. I just need to be alone with Jesus and just... So we're driving home. And the petrol light comes on. Beep, beep. I'm like, I'm frustrated. I just want to get home. But there's 10 Ks left in the tank. So I pull in. And as we pull in, there's these, these, these the petrol attendants. They're all like looking at us. They're like. So I'm just like, I'm irritated. I'm like, what are you, what are you, what? what? Like, why are you looking at me like this? And the one guy's like, right, can you shout something? Go. And the one guy, hey, runs off and off he goes. And I'm just like, literally, boys are like, Woo! going crazy in the car and me I'm like what is, what's this guy what are these guys doing have we bumped something just tell me it's like you know, when someone drive past you and goes <laughs> and you're like oh I'm going 120 kilometers on the highway what did you just say you're like, it's that same feeling like bitch what just come tell me what you're saying okay so I pull into the gas pump I pull into the uh, petrol pump Two hundred bucks, please. Ninety-five. Thank you. Okay, cool. No problem. And this guy comes now. He's come back. The guy's is with a stony bottle, ginger beer. I'm like, seriously, is that okay? What? I'm, I'm gonna have some ginger beer now. Okay, cool. He comes, but he's got this little bit of ointments in front, and he starts. He doses up the sponge, and he works in the front. Now I'm like, what are you doing? Neen like runs off to the shop. I'm like, why is she running off to the shop? I walk out and look, and there he's clearing some scratches because we had bumped some gates. I bumped the gates, I didn't tell her, she bumped the gates, she didn't tell me. So we're both guilty. So here is this guy, wiping off our sins, okay? And I'm like, sure it's working, and eh? now I'm like, ooh, a bit, a bit grumpy now, and I better come down, he's saving me probably a couple grand here, because I thought I'd have to go and get a paint job, and it's just coming off before me, and I'm like, wow, okay. So I get in my car, and I'm a little bit softer now, and then he comes and he pays and I sort it all out and Neen gets in the car and then I'm just driving off and the guy comes up to me and goes, can I tell you something? I'm like, I'm driving, yes, sure, yes. And he's like, and he starts walking in the car and he just starts prophesying over me. And I can't even explain to you, sorry. There's something I've been fighting for 14 years. Okay. And he completely, in that moment, just. Oh, sorry. He completely just brings God's perspective over me as a husband, as a father, that no one else knows except my wife. No one. And here's Samuel the petrol attendant, in the midst of my anger, my chaos, my wanting to give up, get home, get away from people, he's speaking specific things 
that redeemed 14 years. That was just so hidden in, in within me. That I could, I, you know when something is so a part of you, it gets so hidden, it so just becomes who you are, that you could never dive the depths of it to try to extract it and be like, it's gone. He does this. And then he prophesies over my boys. My boys, from being crazy to just being, just listening to Samuel speak. And I just was like, Jesus, you are so specific. You are so specific. You do not love us from arm's length. I'm like, I want to be so convinced of the radical grace and love that Jesus carries for humanity and for us. When I look and I read about Jesus, I just see so much mercy. I see so much love. I see so much specific intentionality he has towards us as his kids, as his children. And if there's anything you get left with today is that. Like, don't give up. Try, stop, look at the signs when you're putting those things on him. Like, that, um, I'm talking to you and to people around me because this is how I think you relate to me. Like, there are so many beautiful, this, this, the word of God, man, it is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword that separates bone and marrow. It goes right into the place you need it. But like Daniel, who's telling Mr. Miyagi, you are not teaching me the right way. He's like, I see a bigger picture here. I have the whole perspective. Just don't lose hope. If you lose hope, man, it's a hard road. He's used communities like this. We need each other. I come from a very, I'm a fly solo kind of guy. I'd rather do it myself because I know I'll do it. And I, the last couple years I've learned needing friendships, needing voices. I am so grateful for my friends. I really am. Because I promise you there's some stuff that I wouldn't have been able to walk through had I not had friends that I can just be who I am. I've had to make apologies because of my big mouth sometimes. And it's not easy. But I've... I'm committed. I know Jesus has a plan in this in community. And he has a plan in the strangers, the Samuels at the petrol attendance. Where the tabernacle was a separate thing from life. You know what happens sometimes with us? We have Jesus everywhere, and then we start building up our own walls. And then we become a little tabernacle unto ourselves. And we separate ourselves. And the Lord's like, no, there's no, I want to break down those walls. I want to say, are you having honest conversations with God? If you're having dreams, are you writing them down? Are you ignoring strangers where perhaps maybe Jesus is like, hello, I'm knocking. Again, that seed thing. We are seed and we plant seeds, but he waters. The way the Lord speaks to me sometimes, he'll give me like a sentence. Just to say, I'll see something. And I'm like, it'll be whatever. The great physician walks to the world's hospital. Let's say it was that. I'm like, I've gotten to a place where I'm like, okay, Lord, you're speaking to me. I, I believe he uses things. Sometimes, you know when one line jumps out at you or something in the scripture, you know that moment, you just, or a line of a song, you're like, woo! There was something on that line. That's the Lord opening a conversation. I've learned that. He's opening up a door of conversation that he wants to take you into and he wants to lead you and he wants to show you through everyday friendships, relationships, 
Spout every, he uses everything. Nothing goes to waste in our lives. I want to end with this scripture, and it's my favorite scripture. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He settled on us as the focus of his love. To be made whole and holy. Not through our persuasion, not through our extra effort. To be, to be made whole and holy by his love. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, thecollectivechurch.co.za.